0: Joel Junker, and thank you for joining us at the Cameron Brooks Podcast. You know, the purpose of the Cameron Brooks Podcast is to talk to Cameron Brooks alumni that are former military officers that are working in business, and talk about their challenges, things that they've done that have set them apart in their career, how they find balance in their in their careers as well. Many of the same things that we all are challenged with, or struggle with, or think about. And get those best practices out and share them with, with you, the listeners, so you can apply them in your life and in your career and know that you're not alone and also help you reach your potential and reach your goals. And in this episode, Dave, um, who is, again, I said before, has been very successful, uh, talks about how early in his career at Assurian, he just made himself available as often as possible to deliver value to his organization. He talks about how he established relationships with people, learned from failure, and shared those failures with his team members. And lastly, he talks about the importance of providing team members uh, constructive feedback and how to to do that. Dave had a lot more to offer. Uh, So what we did here is we stopped the episode uh, or stopped the interview after he talks about the constructive feedback. And then I took the remaining part of the information and we'll have that in a subsequent episode in the next couple of weeks. So thank you for joining us. As always, visit us on our website at Cameron-Brooks.com. If you are a military officer thinking about making the transition, I encourage you to access our learning library. Order a copy of the book, PCS to Corporate America. Um, and also, uh, you can, if you're not a military officer but just looking for great career advice and career tips, there's other forms and things that you can subscribe to uh, from our website. So thank you for being with us and enjoy. Dave,
1: thanks for being with us today and and talking with uh, with me about your career and some of the lessons learned. Um, I'm excited to talk to you because, um, you know, I've known you for 12 years now and I've always considered you a good friend, not just somebody that came to the Cameron Brooks program that is was hired from us. So I'm excited to hear some of your advice, um, especially since we haven't really talked in depth in a few years.
2: Well, I, pr- I appreciate the opportunity, Joel,
1: and uh, looking forward to talking to you as well. This is exciting. So, you know, you've you've been at Assure in ten years or so now. Kind of just give me the baseline, Dave. You've gone. You started off in a I think in an analyst role just walk through the highlights of your careers how long you spent in each role and I'm going to come back to um, the purpose of that question is really to share with the audience people who are listening that how well you've done and we're going to figure out why you've done so well okay
2: um, when I started assuring I started in a supply chain role and managed inventory and some fulfillment um, Did that role for about six months and then moved into a project management role for about another year as a director. Uh, And then moved into a sort of portfolio management role where I was responsible for a series of projects and programs uh, in our operations team. Uh, And then uh, got promoted to a senior director role where my my scope grew uh, a little bit. And I added a, a project management function, a process improvement function, um, and, and a relationship management function. And then, um, and that was in, in the customer experience team and customer uh, care team. And then uh, I was I was asked to consider a role in our product management team and, and uh, product uh, and marketing team. So I went up there for two years to help sell and develop new products. Uh, to our you know, existing clients, and new clients, so I did that for a couple of years and then came back to operations to run uh, our call centers, about seven call centers that we had. Uh, most recently the role I'm in now is the is vice president role where I'm responsible for a bunch of support teams that support all of our, our entire customer solutions, uh customer care team. Um, so I have process improvement, I have project management, I have uh, real estate and facilities, I have analytics and reporting. Um, I have uh, some training, quality, coaching teams,
1: etc. And, and so, Dave, how many times in that span since you started with Assurian, you know, I guess it's been about almost 11 years. How many times have you had a really good, significant promotion?
2: I guess four or five, five times of significant promotions.
1: Nice. Right, so then, now, now we get into the real, the big questions. Yeah, what do I want to draw from you? What do you, if you could, if if you could put your thing on like Dave, I know you're not bragging, that's not who you are, but what is the one thing that you feel like you do that's allowed you to be successful like that? Because that's, that's moving pretty quickly. And the purpose of me asking that question is to share that one thing with other people as an idea to help them in, in furthering their careers.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, this is an easy one only because it's the same. It's the same uh, advice I give people on a pretty regular basis, which is, um, I've tried to make myself as valuable to the organization and as um, available to the needs of the organization as I can. Um, so every one of those roles, somebody came to me and said, "Hey, we'd like you to consider this," and I said, "Okay." Uh, I made myself available and willing to take on a new challenge. It wasn't, um, it wasn't, I wasn't working for a certain angle or pushing for a certain role or competing necessarily for a certain role. At every point it was do my current job really well, make myself available for folks if they needed help or they uh, have a role to fill. And, you know, I think, you know, building good relationships allows you to sort of have that exposure and people think of you. Um, but ultimately, it was, it's always been be available for the company and do what the company needs you to do. And if you do that, I think you're going to be pretty happy and they're going to, you know, generally
1: things are going to turn out well. So you mentioned like there's one a- aspect I think is doing your job and doing it really well. That's, that's one part. I think that's easy for most people to understand. We can come back to that if we need yeah. to. But more importantly, is how do, how, how, what would you give the advice to other people that are in their career? I might be looking at, yeah, I am doing my job really well. And I feel like I should be moving. I think I feel like I should have some more opportunities avail avail themselves to me. And this may be what they're looking for, how to make themselves available to the company. How did you yeah. do that? You mentioned the relationships. Who did you know how do you know who to reach out to? And I gotta imagine it's more than just, hey, I'm reaching out to this person to to spotlight, if you will, but I'm reaching out to this person that I have to establish relationships with the organization so people know who I am.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it, there's a couple of different ways that I've tried to. I mean, one one challenge I gave myself 5 or 6 years ago was I'm going to try to meet a new person in the company every week. Um, and I'm not I don't always uh, succeed in that objective, but my objective has been every week I want to meet one new person in the organization whether they sit near me in in the office building that I'm in or if they sit in some other office building that I happen to be in that week like going up and introducing myself to somebody, learning what they do, you know, it could be a five-minute conversation or a 10-minute conversation. Um, your name gets out there, but you're also building relationships with people. You're gonna see them again. They're gonna need your help on something. You're gonna need their help on something, and so that's just it just makes, it makes the job more fun the more people you know. When you walk down the hall and you get to say hi to 30 or 40 people versus you don't say hi to anybody, it's just a totally different feel for coming to work. So that's one thing that I've made a point of doing um, I think the second one is um, building relationships with people is, um, you know, the, the deliberate act of, well, I'm going to set up a 30-minute one-on-one so that I can get to know you. That doesn't constitute a relationship in my mind. That constitutes maybe a networking piece. But the difference is, um, you know, can you engage with somebody um, in a way that is not only work-related um, and and when it is work-related, can you be helpful to them? That to me is, is is sort of the important piece. Can you find a way to be uh, to endear yourself to someone else on the team in a way that's helpful to them? Uh, and I think that's the most important sort of approach. It builds trust. It builds confidence people see you as somebody that's helpful, which I think is really important. And then someday down the road they're gonna to come to you and go, Hey, I got this opportunity and I want you to think about because all of my experiences with you have been really favorable and positive and every time I talk to you it feels like you're trying to be helpful. So now I got this role I think that'd be great. And you know, it's kinda that that to me has, has always seemed to be a really positive um, way to approach it. The I
1: think that you, you touched on something that uh, I, I share with the people we work with, those officers making the transition, and from my own experience as well, is that when I got out, came to work for Cameron Drugs, I wanted to hit a home run, like in the first year. I wanted to hit a home run and make a name for myself. And what I realized, it was really hard for me to hit a home run when I knew nothing. I had a lot of skills, but I didn't know anything. Yeah. So my mantra, my mantra, Dave, sounds like some of yours, yours is, Add value wherever you can. Yep. And that didn't matter if I was typing up an email for somebody, if I was taking a, if I was loading a trailer where we were going to a conference and loading it really well, or figuring out how to save, I mean, as simple as $8,000 a year in conference calls. Those simple things, and it's funny how those singles, using the baseball term, those singles added up. To uh, really creating my my reputation, Roger Cameron used to say, "Yeah, it'll be the big things that ultimately get you promoted, but it'll be the little things that'll create the reputation for you." And, you're, and I think what your point you're making is that it's those little things that created the reputation, and then the reputation is what brought people to you with an opportunity. Say, will you do this?
2: Yeah, and I think that um, I think that you know, I think that's exactly right. And I think that that reputation through. Through your work product, through the relationships you build, through the engagements that you have, I think that um, that's really useful in in opening doors as well. Uh, I, I mean, it sort of goes without saying that your reputation is going to going to help create some opportunities. But you know, it would be easy for you know, there's going to be times where you don't do things well, you don't make a great first impression, or you you know, you screwed up on something. That's going to happen. Um, your reputation is built the right way and on the right things, and it, you know, and it, and it sort of has a foundation of good relationships, strong relationships, it will overcome that. People will correct, uh, correct the perception of you um, when that dialogue happens, I'm confident. People will say, you know what, I know he made that mistake that one time, but I gotta tell you, I've known, you know, I've known Joel for a really long time and here's all my experiences with him. So what you saw there was an anomaly, it's not the standard. That's helpful.
1: Do you have a failure
2: that you're comfortable telling people about? I have a I have a really big one that I had in the in the army, which actually I still tell that story on a regular basis now to my uh, to people that work for me and, and and others. And I think it's important to have your failure stories. Um, I think it's important as a leader to be able to stand up in front of a group and talk about when you failed. Uh, that vulnerability again is endearing, and it also says like, hey, it's okay to fail, and you got to learn from it. And you know, the net of my story is I was a platoon leader and, and failed running a, uh, a really significant live fire exercise in my platoon, and there's a host of reasons why. Uh, at the end of the, the, the live fire exercise, I had just done a really poor job, and my boss at the time uh, said, hey, you know, the, the colonel wants to talk to you tomorrow morning at 6 in the morning, and, you, you know, you better be prepared to, to walk him through what's going on, and at the time, my whole attitude was, well, there's... You know, all these people were supposed to do things to support my platoon, and they didn't quite happen the way they were supposed to, and that's the reason we failed. And my boss said, you know, if I were you, I would take a hard look at the things you control uh, before you take a look at all the things others did. And so I spent the whole night writing down on a legal pad a list of about 50 or 60 things I personally could have done better. And when I went into the colonel's office the next day, I started reading the list to him when he asked me what I should do differently, um, which was the only question he asked me. And uh, I had a really long, detailed list of things, and I didn't get through probably 10 before he said, you know, I'm confident that you're going to be fine, you're going to get this right the next time, you know, get out of here sort of thing. And that was the end of it. But, you know, had I gone in there with the attitude of, let me tell you all the things other people should have done to make my platoon successful versus what did I own, I'm sure the outcome would have been totally different. So, you know, the moral of the story is when things go poorly, I think as a leader, you got to look at yourself first. And you got to... You got to really knuckle down and sort of take a hard look at what you could have done differently, regardless of the situation. That list might be exhaustive, or it might be really short, but um, it's the one thing that you, as
1: a leader, absolutely can control and should should expect first. Can you uh, share a time, not necessarily exactly what happened, but maybe how you handled a one of your team members that failed to help them see to help them see it's okay to fail? But here's what it's important that you learn from it.
2: Yeah, I have. Uh, I had a. Um, I had an employee one time that with um, a social function for work, and um, and probably got themselves uh, a little bit more. Um, had more fun than they should have had, probably at the social function, uh, and so I had some dialogue with with that person. Uh, that night but it wasn't it wasn't really tremendously effective at that point um, but then the next day at work had you know had some meaningful dialogue with them about hey look this is you know your reputation and what do you want your reputation to to be like and you know that um, you know there's obviously some some regret and some embarrassment when you know your behavior or your judgments sort of are relaxed in whatever moments and that shows up to your colleagues Um but, but I spent a lot of time and continue to spend time uh, making sure that anybody on my team knows, look, you're going to make mistakes. And the so what is, what do you do from it? You know, I mean, that's pretty cliche and everybody talks about it. But it's, it's, it's so funny how um, everybody knows that's the right answer, like how you're supposed to deal with it, um, and yet you know, seldom do people sort of handle it the most effective way, which is hey, go own it, go talk to the individuals that you had the experience with, apologize if that's necessary, you know, explain to them how it's going to be different in the future and then make it different. Uh,
1: you know, and I think that's, I think that's the key. One of the things that was always impressive about working with, sh- with, with uh, you, Dave, and also the people that you would bring with uh, to recruit and is just how smart people were um, just how successful they were in many different things that they've done in places that they've worked. So you've worked with and you've worked for some really successful people too, people that have started companies. What do you what do you think are a couple things that all those people have in common? Um,
2: I think that um, you know they're obviously motivated and hungry and ambitious. There's no doubt about that. But the um, the the most common characteristic that I've noticed amongst those folks is. Uh, Really, a an unwillingness to accept sort of average performance. You know, if you're if the objective is to run a mile, they want to talk about how do you run a mile and a half. If the objective is to build a ten-story building, their conversation with you is going to be about a 15-story building. Uh, they're always they're always pushing and pulling the team for more. Um, and then you know they they also tend to be very willing to reward. Uh, the team when the team does that well so you know they're not um, it's not sort of a I'm gonna pull you and push you and and get, try to get the most out of you without making it worth your while they're there they've all been very much sort of focused on a merit-based organization where we're going to work really really hard and ch- strive to achieve uh, more than we thought we could and when we do we're gonna celebrate that uh, and reward people for that and Every single one of them has, has been that way. I mean, they're all, all the folks that I've worked for have been really successful either here
1: or in other places, and they all share that characteristic. What would you say to somebody that's been out working in five years in business and they found themselves now in a leadership role where they're leading and developing other people? And, and you would say to them, listen, I've seen a lot of successful people. They're not willing to accept average. Here's how either you or these people that have worked for here's how they draw out X what would you say to, the, to them this is the, this is an idea of how to do that I mean I tend to think that um,
2: you know we as leaders especially in, in business a lot of times there's these um, there's these uncomfortable moments where you got to have conversations with folks about how they um, increase their performance or why a particular role that they're in is or isn't a great role for them. The um, It's uncomfortable, and I've been there, everybody's done this probably at some level, and you dread the conversation. You should go into it like hating the fact that you have to have this dialogue. Sometimes the dialogue can be about a personal trait that the individual demonstrates that's a career limiter. but. In any case, no matter what the dialogue is, and you're having that sort of, uh, I need you to perform at a different level conversation, it's uncomfortable. And I have found over time, and I would advise people to not think of this, it, chances are the individual knows when they're not performing well uh, and or knows when they can perform even better. Like maybe they're performing well, but they can perform even better. They know it. So you're not, the discomfort you have going into that conversation is largely your own discomfort. It's not, the, it's not that it will be all that shocking to the person on the other side of the room. And so I feel like, you know, being comfortable in that dialogue and being as candid and open and honest really is a disarming uh, element of the conversation. Now, that can't be the first time they've ever heard it. Uh, you, know, you don't want to surprise people. You should be giving folks feedback along the way so that when you're connecting dots about maybe something more significant that they need to change, that they've heard it along the way. Um, but I think if you can find out what motivates people to be like what they want to do career-wise, either in the current role or in the future, and you're building towards that, these dialogues are really healthy and they're really productive and people appreciate them. And it doesn't—it doesn't feel like this ominous event, you know, of performance management or coaching. It feels like this really positive event that you can't wait to have. Uh, and, and not only are you excited about it, but your team is, and they come looking for it. And so that's, it's a totally different dynamic, I think, when you
1: approach it from that perspective. So I've got two two things along that way that I've I've been thinking about recently on this giving people constructive feedback. Um, First is, I go back to, I don't even know if they teach this still in Army ROTC or anything like that. I don't even know if they taught it at, the, at West Point, but they talked about courage, candor, and commitment. And and so I've mentored um, a couple of young men, uh, not even in business. They've been in education, actually, principals of, of small private schools. And uh, they've talked about the struggle of giving people feedback. And uh, I talked to him about what I learned in the military. You have to have the courage to do the right thing, and the courage to to give people feedback to help them get better. And then you have to have the candor, the, that honesty. I use the word candid, basically the same thing. That honesty to to give them, to share with them. This is what the expectation is. This is where you're falling short. And then, and really, it's commitment. I'm committed to that person. I'm committed to developing that person, committed to helping that person, so therefore I have to have the courage to be candid with them. And I know I was taught that in ROTC, but it's actually come much more alive in my business career than it ever did in the military for me. The second thing, you went to Creighton, correct? Is that a Jesuit? Yep. Is that a Jesuit Jesuit school? Obviously, this is not a religious podcast, but St. Ignatius Loyal, who founded the Jesuits, he had a term called presupposition that... That, uh, you enter into every interaction in a relationship with somebody that that person is trying to do the best that they can.
2: Assuming positive. And so that, I,
1: yeah. yeah, that, and so that's where I come with that, that, that feedback. And, and when I go into that relationship or that, that conversation with one of my team members, heck, even one of my children, um, I think that person is trying to do the best that they can. And start from there and they want to do the best that they can. And if you've hired right, and you've given people feedback along the way, those feedback sessions, as you said, the fear is a lot more on you than it is on them. Did you, um, when
2: you were talking to those folks that you were mentoring, did you, um, was there one of those three, the candor, the commitment, or the courage, that you think that they more, um, they struggle with
1: more than others? Uh, I felt like commitment would be the, the one that was he – this one specifically that I felt like he was short on. What I mean by where he was short on the commitment, I feel like his commitment was much more to what's the impression that this person's making about me. This person's not performing or doing the right thing. I'm getting feedback from other people about this. So this is – I don't feel good about me. This is not making me look, look good. And, I, and this person is really a very giving type of person. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in education. He could be doing a whole lot of other things. But his commitment, I felt like, should have first and foremost been coming from to this this teacher, in this case. It, it, to share his story, he said, hey, I'm having a hard time with this teacher. And she's showing up late to, to work, and she doesn't have her lessons plans done. And so I met with her, and I said, listen, You're showing up late. It's unacceptable. You don't have your lesson plans done, and it's affecting the education. The parents are starting to notice it. I need you to start showing up on time. And I kind of nodded and I listened. So I said to him, and I'll use I won't use his his real name. I said, John, do you know why the teacher's showing up late? And he looked at me with just just like the deer in the headlights look. And I just happened to know the teacher that she's. as a young baby at home they also recently adopted a, a, a child her husband works as well I said John I'm sure she's just overwhelmed in the morning trying to get out the door but if you'd have said to her hey you know we're, you're you're late I'm assuming it's because you've just got a lot going on in the morning is that right how can I help you the conversation would have gone better because he said to me when I did that with her, yeah, it worked for like 60 days, and then she ended up being late again. It's said, sure, because you never solved the problem. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if we go in with presupposition and the commitment to being what's good for the organization with with, with the person, because clearly the person had courage to, to address it, he was candid, but the commitment wasn't there first and foremost to the person and to the organization.
2: And I think that root cause piece in um, feedback is really important. We have a we have a feedback model that we use in our coaching sessions of our associates and our teammates. and you know the first couple of steps in that in that feedback model are around getting to root cause and it's really it's focused on asking a lot more questions as a leader versus saying a lot like uh, you know making a lot more statements um, because in that asking questions, you're disarming your, Creating dialogue, you're building some ownership by the individual in whatever the issue is, and you know, commonly they'll get to the right answer without you uh, telling them what it is, and their commitment level then tends to be so much higher on the back end, right? Because they're the ones that are verbalizing the root cause and uh, opening their eyes to how they need to change, and it's a, it's a totally different model
1: than let me just tell you what my expectations are and the fact that you're not meeting them. It's exactly it. We make If we make so many judgments, as you started off saying before, that sometimes somebody will make a mistake. We might label the person. We might make the judgment. It becomes permanent, becomes pervasive, whatever it may be. But if we start with that presupposition, that that person probably, again, if we've hired right, if we've given good feedback along the way, if we know the person, we can enter that dialogue knowing that that person, in most cases, wants to do the right thing, is trying to do the right thing, and there's probably some root cause that's causing it that we probably don't have any idea about until we start asking questions to really uncover it. Even if we do know, even if we do do know and we come in and make statements right away, they're never going to feel like they're understood. And that's really important as a a leader is that your team members feel like they're understood because they're people, they have goals, they have hopes, they have dreams, they they have problems at home, just like we do. Yeah, and I
2: think I think you know if you're if you're truly invested in making a difference in their performance and in their behavior, um, then you got to have them feel good about the dialogue. They may not they, they may be disappointed in their own choices, or their own behavior, but they got to feel like it's constructive and it's moving in the right direction. It, you know, commonly when that doesn't happen, I think you start to see people disengage even more, and then you've you've potentially lost lost their uh, their will and their excitement for the job or the company and then that's just a downward spiral from that point so I, I agree yeah, with and I think that level of engagement process is really important.